0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Beer Intelligence Podcast, where we grab smart people in tech, design, and entrepreneurship, and ask them random things over beers. We're based out of Shanghai, China, but we grab people all the way from the U.S. and Silicon Valley and everywhere in between. My name is Brandon Owens, and today's guest is Greg Nance. Greg is the co-founder of Dyad.com, which pairs mentors and students together in an open platform and consulting service. Greg is also an ultra, ultra marathoner. So he is in the process right now of training for seven marathons on seven different continents in seven days. As you might expect, he's a pretty energetic and focused guy. So we spend quite a bit of time talking about his routines and efforts and disciplines and the practices that he has in order to really push through and challenge himself. So as avid listeners know, I'm pretty, I don't know, pretty bad at intros i don't really like them i don't really listen to them on other podcasts so we'll just tend to keep this a little bit short and go ahead and get started so with that i hope you guys enjoy the show all right welcome back to the beer intelligence podcast this is episode uh 20 something Uh, my name is brandon owens i'll be your host today Momo Estrella could not make it, had to work late. Uh, Very inconsiderate, but I'm here solo. Our guest today is Greg Nance. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Excellent.
1: How are you, man? Doing really well. Just had a phenomenal Xinjiang dinner and
0: got a cool glass of water in front of me, so life is good. Nice. So why don't you start off just giving people your really short bio so if somebody meets you at a party what would you say and then let's go way back earlier than that so first like your what's your you know 20 second summary
1: yeah sure I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur really passionate about mentorship and helping young people connect with mentors to make better decisions and follow a more authentic path for themselves and I um, I love running so I run ultra marathons all around the world love climbing mountains and spending time in nature so entrepreneur plus adventure.
0: Okay. So now take me back to like the six-year-old version of yourself. Uh-huh. Uh, how did you go from there to be the mentorship slash ultra-marathoning entrepreneur?
1: Yeah. So I think the first thing about me at age six, I couldn't sit still. So like I, I had like just way too much energy. So I'd be in class, like just itching to get to recess. And that's where I, you know, made my friends That's where we'd have a great time. And that's where really started kind of exploring I'm going out playing in the woods behind our little schoolyard. I'm, uh, I'm from a place called Bainbridge Island off mm-hmm. the coast of Seattle. And it's, it's a remarkable place. It's, uh, literally carved out during the last ice age, uh, mm-hmm. surrounded by the sea with huge evergreen forests. And for a six year old, it's the perfect place to, to call your kingdom, to go, uh, and explore and you know, walk down these streams and rivers up these big gullies and climb these trees. And, uh, uh, if I wasn't out exploring with my little brother or big sister, I'd be playing baseball with dad or um, at a, you know, playing soccer, playing football, playing basketball, um, getting out the kind of the creative energy um, as we go with just the people that meant, uh, that meant most to me there. Uh, the mentorship angle came in where uh, throughout the years realized that for me, a lot of um, I'm just so fortunate, like I had amazing teachers, I had great coaches and had parents that were incredibly encouraging. and always, you know, let me be me and go follow your smile. Like do the thing that makes you happy. Um, and that was like that, having that latitude, like actually explore yourself and like your interests and pursue those hobbies as you go mm-hmm. was, a, was super transformational. And so I'm on a mission to pay that forward because I realize not everyone is from such a nice community or has parents that are so understanding and so like encouraging. And so want to make sure that every young person has that kind of presence in their life so they can really find, and cultivate the best version of
0: mm-hmm. So who, who were, let's, let's say just grab teachers, for example, are there any teachers that really were very either <clears throat> impactful on you or really put you on a different track? Like, what was that? Like, what was the story? Who were they? How was it involved? How were you involved?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, number of, of teachers that were, uh, they were super kind of influential for me, um, ranging from, uh, the uh, fifth grade math teacher that showed me like, you're, you're good at this. You can do it. And it's like, cool to be smart. Like having one of those like kind of uh, teacher student moments mm-hmm. was, uh, uh, was powerful. Like, hey, like you, you have a good brain, like let's build it. Like, let's make this fun and exciting. Um, that was a, uh, a big one for me. i in middle school, having a science teacher that kind of opened up like the fun you can have in a laboratory. Like we had these little like pipettes and, you know, this teacher would like spray us with like water as we were like learning how to use these uh, equipment, these materials, kind of bringing a subject to life. I had a remarkably excellent uh, history teacher in eighth grade, Miss uh, Atkinson. And she uh, uh, wanted us to remember one word to learn all about history. And the one word is Surplus. Basically, if a, if a society can create surplus, it can do any number of amazing things, like extraordinary contributions. If it doesn't create surplus, it will um, quickly compound up to zero, and it will mm-hmm. be kind of wiped off the map. And a really powerful historical framework, as we learned about antiquity all the way to the modern day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, that opened my eyes to, to history. I had a, uh, amazing teachers, uh, two of whom had some experience in China. And uh, Mr. Johnson was the, the first sophomore year, and he... Catal was a bit interested and was really, really encouraging about that. And um, really, at at every turn, I've been fortunate to have teachers that kind of sense that I was a bit rebellious, sense that I wasn't going to always read, do like the full reading, but Mm. I was curious to learn in my own way. And Mm. so,
0: did you get in trouble a lot when you were
1: kid? I did totally, Um, ranging from uh, uh, the most, the most kind of like visceral memory here is sixth grade. I was falsely accused, actually, in this case. A lot of accusations were correct. Uh, In this case... Quote, unquote,
0: falsely (laughs) accused.
1: Air quotes, for sure. Um, A a gal or gentleman accused me of uh, spitting in the sixth grade salmon tank that we had. We were were raising salmon. I'm from Washington State. We've got lots of, like, sockeye and king salmon and uh, cohos. Anyways, uh, completely untrue. Actually, I cared deeply for this little salmon that we were raising to then let loose into our stream. So... A rumor gets back to the teacher. The teacher then calls my mom, who is a special ed teacher at this middle school. My dad has to leave work early. Mm -hmm. And I basically, uh, I'm, you know, my two teachers say, like, I'm on the path to, like, destruction. And um, I remember being a really, really, like, big deal. Like, wow, I'm in, like, real trouble here. Though I thought really unfairly, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember the first thing that my uh, parents did leaving that was – um, they could tell I was, like, really down and felt, like, pretty distraught over this because, like, I didn't feel like I was a bad kid nor that I'd done anything wrong. And they uh, they were incredibly um, um, encouraging and understanding. And they um, they believed me that, hey, like, I didn't mean any harm. I didn't actually do what I'm being accused of doing. And uh, we went and, like, literally played catch because, like, that was very therapeutic for me. Like, just throw the baseball around my dad. And uh, we talked about it and talked about why, like, that would be a big deal and, like, why that – you should never do something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's like who my parents are. We're like, they saw hey, like this, like our son is like really rebellious and like does have too much energy. And like, uh, but instead of, I'm going to force you to be someone who you're not, or force you into some mold that just won't work very well for you. The opposite, like, Hey, I want you to be the best version of like this really energetic um Little guy, you can. It's so, like, let's go play baseball for an hour and a half after you finish yeah. your homework every day. And, yeah, I know you just have football practice, but, like, let's throw spirals in the backyard for 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, let's make this math uh, problem set a fun time as we do our homework. Mm-hmm. So I um, did get in trouble a lot, and that actually didn't change um, throughout, I think, a lot of high school. I was always like, kind of pushing the envelope mm-hmm. with uh, with things. But um, eventually, I think people, uh, teachers and others saw, hey, like, that's just that's part of who this guy is. Mm-hmm. So.
0: So why do you think you may have been accused? Why well, I think I may have been
1: accused? I think I was like a prankster and fun loving, and definitely was pushing other envelopes as it went. Um, um, so yeah, it doesn't surprise me. And so, do you
0: think it was another kid?
1: I think it was a silly sixth grade rumor that I don't think anyone actually spat in the tank. And I think I eventually got around. And my name was swirling in that because mm-hmm. if someone had, it's like, yeah, I would be on the, the short list of suspects for sure. Mm. So, yeah, I don't think there was any malice there as much as, yes, some tomfoolery. So Has there been any malice? Uh-huh. There has been for sure. Um, I, uh, yeah, lots of malice ranging from throwing water balloons at cars as like a seventh grader mm-hmm. to, you know. Uh, silly schoolyard fights growing mm-hmm. up. You know, I had thirteen or fourteen fist fights before uh getting to college. So, like that was just part of where I grew up. It's like mm-hmm. two guys have a little bit of beef, like the natural consequences you kind of put the dukes up. So mm-hmm. um yeah. So there there was certainly some shenanigans.
0: Did you win or lose more?
1: Actually, I was uh, – because I had a brother that's 14 months my junior and we would just – little boys, we would melee every day. Mm-hmm. My parents, again, creative parenting, said, look, we're not going to be able to stop these guys from being aggressive with each other. And that's just – that's how little boys are And these two particularly. We're going to teach you to funnel that like angst and that energy into a punching bag. Mm-hmm. And so we got uh, boxing gloves and a punching bag. And our dad had taught us how to actually, you know, go about this. And so, um, I was always a little, usually a little bit smaller than the, the gentleman that would kind of uh, have some beef with me. And so, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, undefeated on the schoolyard because um, actually I knew what I was doing, unlike mm-hmm. the other guy who may have me by five or ten pounds, but but likely didn't. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah, it's nice having brothers. I mean, I had an older brother, and also yeah. like there was a very nice little period of time in, like, middle school into high school where I was just so much further ahead. Um, You're because ready. Because of yeah. that, yeah, 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 exactly. You, you got the training. Yeah. yeah, so it's been all downhill from there, but uh, <laughs> for that time.
1: Pete's in middle school. Yeah.
0: So you said your, your mom taught special ed. What, yep. did, what did your dad do?
1: My dad is a longtime public defender and mm-hmm. criminal defense attorney. Okay. And his, um, yeah, they, they actually, they were... Um, kind of sweethearts from Mississippi. So mm-hmm. dad is from the Delta, very poor area, one of the poorest regions in the country. And then uh, my mom grew up on the shore of the uh, Mississippi River in a place mm-hmm. called Natchez, which is a um, far more affluent than down Delta. So they, uh, anyways, they got married. They uh, both had kind of a heart for public service. So mom was doing uh, nursing homes and then got into special ed. Mm-hmm. And then dad was uh, um, doing public defense and uh, couldn't actually get meaningful work when he first moved to Seattle He had like a mm-hmm. thick southern accent and just didn't look the part. Mm-hmm. So he uh, his first kind of uh, gainful employment was actually as a Seattle Se- Seahawks beer vendor. during right. the 1983 1984 seasons mm-hmm. he would carry uh, a tray of like 20 cores lights up yeah. and down the Kingdom Isles and um, so though like, very well educated, very intelligent, also big time hustler and like hard worker and mm-hmm. I think that goes for both my parents so. Mm-hmm.
0: Who are you more like?
1: My, uh, my dad. How so? My dad is a um, also uh, very kind of adventurous and I think had a buccaneering streak as a younger mm-hmm. guy. So yeah, he uh, before his final year of law school, he uh, saved up kind of flipping burgers and uh, selling books door to door so that he could go to Europe. And he basically ran out of money um, two-thirds of the way through this and ends up having to kind of forage off the land and crashes a french wedding to have like a nice dinner kind of a deal um and so that's been a a big inspiration as i've Mm -hmm. gotten more of those kind of fun stories that you can uh, even if you're just getting established and getting started you can still go see the world you can still Mm -hmm. get yourself out there and meet incredible people and um try to live a um, a life in accordance with you know the values you have and uh, i think for my dad and i both of us like adventure is one of those things Mm and trying to like connect with people from different places and expand our horizon and so mm-hmm. uh, also big-time readers both love sports love the outdoors um, all of those elements mm-hmm. um, i think commonalities
0: and um, before we started recording today we had talked a bit and, and you had mentioned your your grandfather also right? yeah so was that on your mom or your dad's side
1: yeah uh, both my granddads but my dad's side in particular I'm he right. uh, remarkable, remarkable man who uh, I was um, really, really fortunate to have had as much time as I did with him. He uh, was a phenomenal pitcher, youth pitcher in Tennessee um, where he grew up and had an incredible screwball. It's so, like one of the best pitchers in all of Tennessee in the uh, the 19, uh, 1930s there. His dad dies suddenly of a stroke, strokes out and he passes away. And this is the days before welfare. These are the days before any kind of social safety net. And so uh, he's got one choice, and the choice is he's going to head into the rock quarry to chip rock for uh, something like 22 cents an hour mm. um, in order to keep his baby sister and his mom kind of afloat there. Mm. And uh, in 1940, when he's uh, just turned 17, he gets uh, enlisted in the Marine Corps year before Pearl Harbor. And it was like a relief going through a Paris Island boot camp for him. It was like, wow, this is so much easier and better. And like they feed me and I'm making more money. This is fantastic. Uh, and when, when the war finally breaks out, he uh, uh, finds his way eventually to the front and fights you know, throughout the South Pacific, most notably in Iwo Jima. And just sees some horrific stuff uh, barely in his 20s at that time. And so um, – even with just a 10th grade education is able to become a, uh, a business leader for what uh, uh, kind of Bell South, which became mm-hmm. kind of AT&T later. Sure. And um, remarkable, remarkable story of kind of self-determination and self-learning and just uh, relentless personal development to be kind of a, a country bumpkin with no formal education into a, a business leader and a, a family man, father of six, where you know each of his kids go to, uh, end up going to college, which is quite rare in the Mississippi Delta. And mm-hmm. Uh, remarkable person. And I'm really fortunate that he actually he suffered a, um, of all things, he suffered a little fall that um, uh, ended up kind of needing some rehabilitation. He ends up moving in with us and basically staying for, uh, for a course of uh, two plus years uh, when I was in high school and um, just so much life, with life, life lessons and wisdom and knowledge. And uh, that was really the start, I think, for me realizing how important mentorship is where you, um, before then I just completely taken for granted like just how good I had it with my parents, with the school I'm in, the community I'm in, and when you hear start hearing stories from your granddad who like grew up with absolutely none of that, um, it puts things in like radical perspective really really quickly, and that um, uh, remarkable. And he uh, he passed away summer after my uh, junior high school, going into my senior year, and he um, you know w- was always encouraging about get the best education you can, and then it doesn't stop with When the school year stops It's a -hmm. a lifelong pursuit And you know His Numerous bookcases Are evidence of that Mm -hmm. Uh, A life really well lived And um, Yeah Remarkable person Who I You know One of my heroes to this day Mm -hmm.
0: And is there Something that you're Learning on your own now?
1: Yeah Every day So I'm uh, I'm actually Five hours from the end Of an audio book On uh, Colonel Roosevelt Which is a uh, um, a Biography of Theodore Roosevelt's Mm Post-presidency And uh, super fascinating. So I'm trying to learn from – on this side, like, learn more about leadership, learn more about management, learn more about communication, and about finding balance. Because Theodore Roosevelt, I think, is someone that personified each of those elements, including living a uh, kind of a renaissance-style life where Mm -hmm. just lots of pursuits and was really, really remarkably good uh, at each of those. And so that's been a big kind of inspiration for me.
0: Okay. Do you have problems – maintaining balance on your own
1: i think so um i think i'm um yeah i have like these rooseveltian bursts that's part of my personality where what does that mean okay. it's uh, yeah it's basically uh so if theodore roosevelt for instance would have ai uh, i'm gonna write an essay about like this western finch and for the next like 20 hours like that's exactly what i'm doing like kind of laser beam focused to like knock out this like essay or this you know article for outside magazine and um I think I have a similar personality trait where basically, like, I I, I completely lose track of time and, like, mm-hmm. just sort of flow through something. And, um, yeah, I'm a bit, like, that laser beam where, like, if I'm really, like, zoomed in on something, like, that will go, like, extraordinarily well and then, like, literally will, like, let everything else, uh, you know, potentially go to the weeds mm-hmm. while I'm, like, zoomed in on that. And so that's something that I've… Uh, thought a lot about and like i don't even know if it's a bug as much as just like a feature like mean, yeah. that's kind of how i am and yeah. so like i need to just optimize around that is it there
0: any um specific thing you can think of when that happened recently or when's the last uh either recently or when's a very pronounced time that we're like oh my god i let everything drop but <laughs> yeah. i like got really good at pinball for a couple yeah.
1: yeah so like um yeah i'll give you a, a recent one here so i uh i i and recruiting mentors for diet. My, my my work here and um it's eight PM and I realize, ooh, look, I need to actually recruit these four new roles. And so um I kind of get started, I load up what I call the problem space where you basically use a blank sheet of paper, uh in my notebook, I write out like what's the actual objective, what what I need to do here, what's like the basic like what's the uh um what's the project scope, like what am I actually needing to accomplish here. And then uh, a little like a couple of tactical points for like how I'm gonna do it. And then I like get into it and you know, 8 p.m. turns into uh, 2 a.m. And it's like, whoa, like, that was a big chunk of time. Like, more mm-hmm. than I thought. Luckily, just found some like, awesome people that are, like, in our pipeline. now. Oh, that's great. But I have training in 90 minutes. Like, ugh, mm-hmm. like this would have been good to, like, I was supposed to go to bed early tonight. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that um, that happens way more than I like, where um, I think when you're young and full of energy, it's relatively easy to cut corners from like, a health perspective or sleep. And uh, I've gotten way better the last, like, eight, seven, eight, nine months, but still a lot of room to improve on that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I get like just in that zone and like mm-hmm. you just keep working until your alarm goes off or it's like, ooh, it's time just like mm-hmm. period to train. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think <clears throat> you're kind of listing that as both like a strength within something you're working on. But at the same time, I know so many people Struggle with the complete opposite, like the inability Mm. to find that focus, right? Whether it's the messages coming Mm. in or the emails or the people coming up and interrupting them. Um, is it do you uh, do you also struggle with the inability to get the focus or are you kind of just like you've got a process that you follow and it works? And
1: yeah, so for a long time, I really did struggle because I didn't yet know, um, I wasn't really listening to myself and like trying to figure out my system. And I was basically looking at what worked for friends or mentors. Everyone's different. So you've, um, you've got to find out what works for you. Um, one example of this is like, you can't actually call me in China. Cause like, I don't have a Chinese phone. Um, mm. And that was a really simple decision. Cause I was getting for every one useful call. It was like six or seven telemarketers or you know, tell spam. Mm. And I, as I mentioned, I'm like a little laser beam there, but if the laser gets knocked off, it's like groove. Well, like it's hopeless. You have to like reset Mm. the entire contraption. And so, um, yeah, simple things. Like I cut Wi-Fi so like I can't receive your email. I cut, you know, I don't have a phone so you can't call me. Mm. Um, I, I, you know, have a little like nook that I'll go to like put in noise-canceling headphones um, and it just like helps me. So it really optimizes around like me and like my kind of learning and like Mm. productivity style. And that's one that was huge because previously it was all about like Growth hacks and like learning hacks and hack this, hack that. But a lot of that's written for like a general audience that like mm-hmm. just won't, like half that won't apply to you. And if you take out, you know, the one half that works with half that just does not, it can you know, completely mitigate whatever system you're trying to build. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think being more discerning and really uh, skeptical as you're like adding new, new elements, I'd far rather have few kind of uh, arrows, but each one is like optimized, a lot of wood behind it mm-hmm. than just a bunch of, uh, you know, equipment of dubious value. And so that's my, well, uh, one thing that's worked for
0: me. Okay. How, how many times during the day do you think you'll do a session like that? I,
1: um, frequently, so I, I work in like cycles. So, um, I get to the, so I basically train, uh, train quite early in the morning, usually four in the morning. I'm out put in the miles, uh, for, for training for a shower off and then uh, get to the office sometime between like seven and eight 30, depending on how long um, the run was. And, uh, I'll try to get in a few sessions before our team meets for a morning huddle at, mm-hmm. at ten fifteen. 15. So uh, I always start with the hardest thing first. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll have actually already loaded that. Um, before I go out on my run, I have like a, kind of like a, a core challenge or an intention around the run. And part of that's like I'm just loving my audio book. But mm-hmm. maybe it's, ooh, I'm onboarding this new team member next week. Like, let me mm-hmm. actually think of a creative way to like bring her on board faster.
0: So, so sorry so you you're basically already when you wake up you've got an idea of something you want to accomplish that day or something you want to work mm-hmm. on and then that's you say mentally load it yep. before you run so that you're thinking about it right? exactly so do you keep like journals for this or i do like, how do you do
1: it yep i've got uh so we have little dyad notebooks that uh, each of our teammates have and uh, yeah i i have one that's very tactical it's like my kind of to-dos and like the problem space idea that i mentioned um and that's a really nice kind of fun archive. Like what was I working on in May of 2008? Ah, that's right. Here it is. Um, so I like I enjoy the archival aspect and you can also see various trends emerging. And so I I do a little bit of analysis on that periodically. And then I also, um, I fancy myself a writer. So like I'm mm-hmm. working uh, I have like a daily blog. I, I do on Instagram around running and I'm written a couple short stories that I, and it's just for fun. Like I don't think I have a particular talent as much. I just enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But, um, Um, yeah, trying to do more of that. And so part of that practice is just, you know, do a little bit of public stuff on like the Instagram side, but also do lots of private, like page or two each evening. And so, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, aim to jot down some ideas on that. And frequently, like I find for myself when I'm writing, it like channels a different part of my brain where like something that was sort of hidden from view of my conscious mind, just like streamed out of my pen. And Mm -hmm. the result of that is, uh, as you're getting ready for that run, it's like, you just have like far more clarity about what needs doing there.
0: Mm -hmm. Sorry, my scanner has a ghost. Yeah. It's been randomly turning on and off with scanners. Yeah. So whoever's hacked my uh, printer, i yeah. uh, knock it the fuck off. Um, <laughs> not now, Vladimir. Not now. Yeah. Give it a rest. Okay, so that totally derailed me. Um, but so I want to dive a little bit more into this. You, you said problem space as how you mm-hmm. handle this. Is there more detail to that? Like... In terms of like what you do when you approach a problem or is that just as, you know, just a couple of different lines on a piece of paper? Like, is there something more there or?
1: Yeah, so the, the origin story here is a, a simple one. Um, looking at my email inbox, I uh, was getting, you know, much more efficient, like processing, you know, dozens than, you know, 100 plus emails a day. But like the same, like the same email will be at the bottom of my inbox, like day after day after day. Yeah. And I, I did a session with uh, one of our uh, investors at Dyad and – he asked like, what's stressing you? And I was like, oh, like my email inbox He's like, wait, what? Like, let's, let me dive into that. And he basically watched me do some email. And he watched me as like, I approached a couple of these, like no, these emails. And uh, he had me take out a sheet of paper. And for each of these, like, you know, five emails at the bottom, this like big, you know, slow, you know roll through all this email, get to like the the very bottom. And then I'm like a deer in headlights. Like, oh, what do I do? Um, and so it's like, hey, blank sheet of paper, one sheet of paper for this one email. And we're going to define like, so let's summarize like, what is, what is this like? Oh, it is a, an event invitation in Moscow, Russia on October 18th, 2014, let's mm-hmm. say. Okay. Um, so like, what is there a decision needed? Like what action is needed? Uh, and basically like break this down, like uh, atomize it, like the small constituent parts. Um, huh? and w- what I realized is that, um, It's like the lion trainer's um, syndrome where if you uh, – if you've ever seen like a cartoon rendering of like there's a lion and then there's a a trainer that has like a whip in one hand and then like a three-legged stool in the other, Mm. we always think, oh, it's the – the lion is like not attacking the trainer because of this whip. Like, no, no, no. The lion is huge. It could easily overwhelm the whip. It's distracted. It's distracted by like the three legs of the stool because the trainer's like slowly moving them around. The lion doesn't know what to focus on because it's focusing on everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was that analogy was a really, uh, it was a powerful one. It struck for me. I was like, oh, like I am just n- unable to focus on each of the constituent parts here. Let me just atomize this. You know, here's you know, the different elements of what's being asked to me. And I'm basically like, do I want to go to the conference or not? And, you know, will I, And like, Oh, like, I don't. And I'm going to feel a little guilty because like this person wants a favor for me to like show up mm-hmm. to this event. Um, so really I need to like give them a call to like apologize profusely that I can't make it because of these other obligations. Um, mm-hmm. cool. That's my next, that's my action item. Hey, Sergey. So sorry, man. I can't make it these dates conflict with this other thing I've got going on. Um, you know, I want to make it up to you. How mm. can I, how can I help? And then, you know, you have have your phone call to, to try to mend the fence. Um, but going through each of these, the problem place is all about clearly defining like what is needed here. And then actually like there's a, putting a defined scope on it. Cause so often mm. um, if your inbox is anything like mine, well, you get blown up with these like really like unlimited scoped emails where it's like, what do you actually like need from me? Like, how can I actually help you? Mm. What, uh, what feedback or suggestion or advice or, edit or you know what's the nature of this ask and uh, um, I found this little drill like having a fresh sheet of paper like work through some of these can be like immensely clarifying Mm -hmm. and then uh, at worst you're spending four or six minutes working through something even something relatively complex Um, and in most cases it's like trivially easy and you're Mm -hmm. able to um, stay on top of correspondence mm-hmm. and this was really hit home during my uh, Theodore Roosevelt book where he he wrote something like 100,000 letters in the first uh, 15 years of the 20th century mm-hmm. um, and so like massive pace like hundreds of letters a day mm-hmm. um, and if, if uh, you know, a gentleman who's like the governor of New York and then the vice president and then the president of the United States can do that with like a very busy schedule like hey I'm working on a startup like of course I can respond to 50 emails in a day. And Mm -hmm. so it's more like building a little system for for how to do that. So Mm. welcome to to a rabbit hole.
0: Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. So I wanted to uh, change pace a little bit and and jump into the question that I said was one of my favorites in in interviews, which is, what is something that people misunderstand about you?
1: What is something people misunderstand about me? Um, I think a lot of people think that I am quite disciplined and organized um i hear that relatively frequently oh you must be so disciplined to to train and to do this and that um the the reality is that i'm actually not i, I have i think very low um, um you know i have f- swings and fluxes of willpower and i have um little systems i build to try to stay organized that like fall apart quickly and so i'm very poor at like systems maintenance and so um Yeah, the kind of like truth behind the curtain here is that like I have to keep it very, very simple. And so living by like a series of like very uh, repeatable, recurring behaviors Mm -hmm. that kind of keep me on track is uh, um, enormously useful and makes it appear as if, hey, like I'm a disciplined person. And so that ranges from like having the same two pairs of pants or like the same four shirts all cycle between the same brooks running shoes that i wear um each training run each morning Mm -hmm. and to like i have the same i eat like a salad from a place called max and Sal like every day Mm -hmm. um it's like a lot of people be like extraordinarily bored with all that but it basically means that you have a little bit more creative energy and like decision making capacity for things of slightly higher consequence than like what is your shirt or Mm -hmm. where do you get your salad so uh, yeah i mean a lot of people think i'm organized or disciplined where uh, untrue but i think if you shave away enough fat you can appear to be more on top of things which is important for me
0: mm. so how do you tend to get back on track if you say you miss your routine or because of travel or something like that like how do you get back on track yeah on so yeah so i have
1: a couple of protocols um when i travel i uh um it's you know, so like I'm a pretty ambitious athlete looks like, so like I, I run uh, my next race is a 250 kilometer run um, and it's in exactly 80 days so I'm going to be flying on Monday and actually I, at this age I, I can't afford to miss a day of training because like that just sets you back and then risk of injury risk of uh, kind of flaming out or just having a poor race is too high for mm-hmm. how much effort goes into this. So and uh, the protocol is a simple one it's I'm going to have a tougher training day while traveling than I would just running naturally and so uh, how does that actually bear out well during this 12 hour flight to Seattle, my hometown, I'll be doing, you know, aiming for like a thousand lunges and a thousand squats. Um, and then I'll um, basically do like these little ch- modified chin ups there in the uh, the back quarter of this Delta flight. And so mm-hmm. by the end of it, like absolutely exhausted, legs are burning, uh, way worse than a normal like 20 mile run. And like, you know, you should have like raw calluses on your hand by the end of this kind of deal. And so, like, with that mentality means that I'm actually like travel means like my train's getting ahead. Mm-hmm. which was never the case. Usually I would just skip it, like, Oh, it's too hard. I'm flying. Um, but for the goals I have, it's, that's not, uh, that's not the best move. And so um, protocols of that kind are useful. Uh, kind of more day to day though. Um, I feel behind a little a touch. Of, okay. Okay.
0: What, what do you say to the stewardesses or the mm-hmm. stewards? Yeah. And what do they say to you?
1: I try to, so usually there's actually a stewardess or two that can really empathize that are like trying to get, you know, some fitness going in their life. Mm-hmm. And I find that, uh, I'm always the guy in the back that's like slugging waters with the flight attendants Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the flight. Cause like I always get dehydrated and I'll usually, uh, ask, Hey, like how do you keep your sleep cycle on track? Like what do you do for fitness when you're, you're you're in the air all the time? Like what do you do? And, uh, you'll, you know, I've, I've even done workouts where like this gentleman or lady will join me for a bunch of squats. And Mm -hmm. like, we're kind of a motley crew back there with, um, getting some fitness in. So yeah, I find if you are, uh, they, they sense, like, hey, this is sort of just, like, a, a zany character back here that, like, mm-hmm. needs to get his workout in. So, like, cool, like, don't, you know, don't make a disruption. like And you try to be courteous and respectful. Like, hey, mm-hmm. they got a job to do, and, like, you don't want to get in the way of that. So, like, I wait till the food cart is, like, long cleared and, you know, all that mm-hmm. um, to try to be, you know, respectful in this. But, uh, yeah, you can actually get a couple folks to join you. And I've had a number of, like, you know, little selfies and things back there where it's kind of mm-hmm. like a, a fun deal. or
0: mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, what are some habits that you wish you would have developed or taken up more in, early on in life?
1: Yeah. Number one is sleep. So I'm, uh, though last night's an exception to this, I'm, uh, getting on the eight hour sleep train. Mm-hmm. So I read a phenomenal book, which I'd recommend to, to everyone listening here. It's called why we sleep by, uh, a, 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 foremost neuroscientist studying the science of sleep. And it, uh, really, really, really fascinating portrait of like all the different ways that sleep is actually like the most amazing thing. And, uh, I wish I had been getting eight hours of sleep much, much sooner. I was uh, always saying, Hey, I only need four and a half or five or six hours to get by. But in, a, in reality, at a, uh, neurological and a physiological and a psychological level, every system across your body improves with a full eight hours. And so that's the, the first and last big habit that I wish I could have developed a lot sooner.
0: And what is helping you like, or what did you change? Is it mostly just decisions about when you go to bed that's driving most of the change for you then? Or like, are there other things that have helped?
1: Yeah, so it, it's partially environmental and there's a couple of tactical things to all share. Um, environmentally, it um, I started saying no to late night conference calls. So I work on an NGO that's based in uh, Chicago and San Fran and all the time there's something going on. It's like, hey, we've got this, uh, you know, 8 a.m. Co- or 9 a.m. conference call. Can we can we rope you in for your feedback? And, you know, the 25 or 27-year-old version, they would say, yeah, like, let's do it. Uh, but I also realized like, that just dramatically cuts into, like, your sleep window, especially if you're getting mm-hmm. early to, to train or to, like, you know, get your day started. So I started saying no to uh, late-night stuff. So conference calls was a big culprit. I'm a, a very boring person. It's so, like I don't have an active, like, evening life. Um, so I'm, I'm frequently in bed uh, and asleep by like 8, 9, 10 p.m. Depending mm-hmm. on the, uh, the day. Uh, that's been really, really useful. So getting to bed earlier. Uh, second uh, element that's been really useful is
0: uh,
1: <clears throat> aiming to calendar fewer calls early in the morning from a Shanghai time. Mm-hmm. And so doing more like uh, instead of like 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. calls, like just try to push it back to 8 and 9. And that means that even if you slip a bit and like you're later getting to sleep than you'd like, you still have a buffer to mm. sleep past and like, Hey, I'm going to just train after work instead of before work. And then uh, I have two cats, which I, I love dearly noodle and William of orange. They love to scuffle at like three in the morning or mm. one in the morning. And that uh, can be really disruptive, like deep rim sleep. And mm. so uh, really simple innovation got a uh, little eye mask and then earplugs. And because I put that on, you can like feel the cat's like wrestling over you, Mm -hmm. uh, but like whatever you're fine. It's like the noise is like filtered out. And so Mm -hmm. that's a game changer, especially for those that travel quite a bit or have like, uh, you know, light disturbance coming through in your room Mm -hmm. or like loud neighbors or living near the street. Um, Simple, simple things, but it prevents something outside your control from kind of screwing
0: up your sleep cycle. Mm -hmm. Are these um, pretty simple ones or are these like nicer? uh,
1: Really simple. simple Yeah. Really simple. So I got the, I got the, I'm on like a Delta flight and I got the uh, uh, earplugs may have been on a flight too, actually. So yeah, they're mm-hmm. real cheap. Mm-hmm. And they have a little string on them. So they both come together. Mm-hmm. So I'm a klutz. I'd lose them if they were separate.
0: Yeah. I was just curious. Cause I, I, I always sleep with like the air filter on that. creates like some, you know, white noise kind of in the background and that's what I'm like super conditioned to now. So even going in a completely quiet environment uh, throws me out. But the few times I have tried, uh, something like earplugs for example i just found them so uncomfortable because i'm like a sleep on the side person yeah um so i was just curious in general how do you view stuff and equipment and things like what role does that play in your life
1: yeah so i'm
0: uh i'm kind of naturally a late adopter so mm-hmm.
1: i don't i'm not the first guy usually trying stuff out testing stuff um i'm usually a uh, you know i prefer like tried and true broadly speaking for a lot of stuff so i got my first like I, I got the iPhone four was my first iPhone. I got a MacBook in twenty twelve, mm-hmm. well after you know it had kind of reached uh, peak popularity, and so I think that's my broad attitude to stuff. I have exactly half a closet of my stuff. I can fit everything in one big suitcase that mm-hmm. I could that I've got in China. Um, the only thing I think I over collect on is books. Like I, I do like paper copies of books, mm-hmm. and so I've got a bookshelf full of stuff I've read in China, which. Um, is a uh, is a bit now um the one thing i kind of like um spoil myself on i really like nice running shoes
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so that that's like the one you know i spend so much time running and yeah it's like, i was
0: about to say like yeah you kind of have to otherwise yeah. you're gonna
1: be fucked yeah
0: so it's to, to prevent injuries and just have a, a comfortable good feeling mm-hmm. um, yeah. what, what are some of the running shoes that you recommend for the intensity that you do yeah and actually i mean just tell people a little bit about what kinds of things you run because i know but yeah, yeah. we haven't spent so much time talking about it so like what's your upcoming race what are you training for and then also specifically like what kinds of running shoes do you like or don't like
1: yeah 100 um so i'm training for what's called the atacama crossing the atacama is the world's driest desert based in northern chile and it, um, if you've ever watched like a documentary about Mars um, or a movie about Mars, it was probably filmed in the Atacama because it looks like a, a Martian landscape. It, it hasn't rained there in like four plus years. So mm. like extremely dry. And it's uh, the result of that is it's not even dirt or soil. It's literally salt crystals on the ground. And so mm. very, very, very unforgiving um, uh, landscape and topography. Really like you know, very, very dry and very, uh, very hot in the day. And uh, it's a 250-kilometer run across mm-hmm. uh, You'll actually pass 44 volcanoes um, on, like, the Pacific Ring of Fire there. So it's a really, really challenging course. And uh, a fun element of it is I'm actually going to be running it with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and it happens to be, out of pure coincidence, my dad's 65th birthday today. Mm-hmm. Um, so happy birthday, Dad. Love you, Dad. And we're going to be running this. Um we're gonna be running this together. So, we're both training hard. That means mileage. So, mm-hmm. you know, this morning I, I put in like 21, 22 miles. Um, I you know, typically will run somewhere between five and like 35 miles in a day, depending on uh, where you're at in a training cycle. So, like if you go shorter, usually you're going a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. If you're going longer, usually you're going a bit slower. Sometimes I wear a heavy rucksack with up to like 12 kilograms worth of uh, like books, usually. And that's to simulate the Atacama because you'll run the 250 with all of your food, with your uh, sleeping bag, with water
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, as you go. And so that'll end up being 10 or 12 mm-hmm. uh, kilograms. And so you got to train for that. Uh, having the right shoes is totally critical. So this is one place where I really do kind of indulge. I uh, want to have the very, very best footwear on the planet. And mm-hmm. so uh, my, uh, my go-to is Brooks. It's a Seattle-based shoe company. All they do is running shoes. And so they're mm-hmm. really, really good at it. My favorite model for my foot is a, it's called the Levitate and it's aptly named because like it really feels like you're skimming the earth's surface and like propelling forward. I'm also a big fan of the Launch um, and then Pure Grit. Those are my three favorite models. The fun part about Brooks though, they have like 25 different models and you can go to shoefinder.com and it's an incredibly handy, easy to use tool where you uh, supply information about yourself ranging mm. from do I have to train on um, concrete or on trails? Do I, am I flexible or not very flexible? Do I have a history of injuries in my feet or no? Mm. Um, am I, do I pronate or supinate? Like do I have kind of a pigeon toed or pizza toed, um, uh, stance as I run it? it's, it's like 11 questions. And by the time you get to the end of it, it'll actually suggest three models. Like mm. these are the three that might work best for you. Yeah. Pick one based on style and, uh, yeah, so I'm a big fan of equipment in that sense. Like you gotta have the right stuff
0: when you put that much time and effort in. Mm-hmm. And why do you push yourself so hard in running specifically? Yeah. Uh, so a quote
1: that I think aptly describes is a guy named Steve Prefontaine, who's a mm-hmm. Pacific Northwesterner uh, and the best American 5K runner to date. He uh, he said that to give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. Mm-hmm. And my belief. is is that every one of us has a a gift or a collection of gifts. Mm -hmm. And part of the meaning of life is actually to figure out what is my gift. And then if you're so inclined to actually pursue it and to try to cultivate that gift. And if you're so inclined to to actually share it, and it could Mm -hmm. be sharing it just with you in a diary, just you and your smile. It could be you and your family or your closest of kin, or it could be a, uh, a broader swath too. And so, you know, I run because it, uh, you know, it helps me push past the limits that I thought I had in my life. Mm-hmm. I, uh, was in a near fatal motorcycle accident. Um, right after 4th of July, 2013, um, got hit by like a drunk and
0: uh, you, you were on the motorcycle. I was on the
1: motorcycle. Got, yeah, got clipped by a drunk, uh, 40 miles an hour rolling kind of head over feet down a highway and just extraordinarily you know, excruciating pain. And, uh, the, uh, the doctor who ended up kind of treating me is like, Hey, like I know you like to run you're not you can't run again like you're you're like deeply bone bruised you're like back and hips are like out of whack like no way man and uh, the moment he finished that little like monologue at me was the moment I said like hell no like that mm-hmm. is the last thing I'm gonna do is like give up this thing that I love and like I'm actually going to recover just so I can like I want to prove you wrong I'm a mm-hmm. rebellious guy and like you tell me what I can't do I'm gonna go do it and uh Within a week of that conversation, I actually I had uh, applied for a, a 250 kilometer race across the Gobi Desert in Xinjiang, far west China, mm-hmm. and uh, that's kind of my personality. So, like, um, part of why I run is to push past the limits, and then I actually I love telling the story around it too. And so, like, that's what I fancy myself doing as a writer. That's what I really enjoy um, in uh, you know in ch- chatting with friends and with uh, those I've, I've connected with is. How each of us can actually push past our limits. It doesn't mm. have to be running. It can be anything. Um, mm. But uh, the only limits that matter in my belief are those that we place upon ourselves. Because if you actually say like, look, I'm just – I realize like most people can't make a living off their guitar or most people can't do X, Y, and Z, but I'm going to figure out how to do it. Then mm. then you can and you you will figure out how to do it if like, your heart's really there and if you, you keep pushing.
0: Mm.
1: So some philosophy here, your mm. intelligence. Yeah, no doubt.
0: So, what do you, what do you either counsel, advise, or I guess even mentor someone when you're trying to help them get past whatever is holding them back, or to identify those self-imposed limits or something like that? Like, mm-hmm. what, what do you say? Are there exercises you do, Are there things that you take them through, or like how how would you? Uh, yeah. Talk to someone about that. Yeah.
1: So uh, one thing a a mentor told me that I'll parrot here because I think it's the best advice I've gotten is. um, in those moments, write down a list of the things that you're afraid of. I'm afraid I'll fail. I'm afraid I'll disappoint mom. I'm afraid it'll break grandma's heart. I'm afraid my boyfriend won't like me. My girlfriend won't like me. Uh, whatever it is, list it out. I'm going to go broke. I, it's going to be too expensive. I can't do it. Um, after you've made that exo- like, as more, the more exhaustive as you can get as you can, inventory each and everything and then actually rip it in half. Rip it in half. And, uh, there's something very psychologically liberating about that. And, uh, the context in my case, I was, is that, sorry, is
0: that literally ripping the piece of paper in half or is it mentally ripping rip, the consequences? In
1: half? Ripping the paper in half. Okay. And then I think it's, it's, it's literal and figurative in that sense. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you can, uh, you can do that. Um, a, a second mentor, uh, adds a corollary onto this, which is, Hey, before you rip it, inventory the most serious things that actually like are probable obstacles in your path. And then let's build a game plan, a pre-mortem for if that would like kill you or like, you know, mess you up on this path, why would it? And then what can you do to actually avoid that? Mm-hmm. And so one, to give you an example, like my first races I've done without audio, it, it actually like, it's really, really tough if you're running for like 30 hours with no audio. Cause like, mm-hmm. I just train with it all the time and I like music, I like audiobooks, and um, So my pre-mortem was like, I have to like teach my brain how it's like, it's cool to be still. And it's cool to be like without stimulus nonstop. Mm-hmm. And, uh, by pre-morteming that I then, um, was able to actually train with that where you start doing an hour, then two, then three, and then five. And by the time it's racist, like, yeah, cool. Like, I don't need audio for mm-hmm. that. And so, um, I'm a fan of like the, you know, the theatrics of ripping the sheet. And I'm also a fan of like good planning. And so mm-hmm. maybe do both. Mm-hmm. So.
0: And are you mentoring people now? I am. Yeah. How did they either find you as a mentor or vice versa? How did that come about?
1: Yeah. So it, it's a combination. So like I am, a, um, it, it's primarily organic in the sense of people that you meet that you feel like you can add value for. Um, and I'll give you a couple examples. So in one case, I gave a talk at uh, University of Illinois um, back, uh, this must have been spring of 2012, I gave a talk. And one of the ladies in the audience who heard me, you know, blather on about startup leadership, blah blah Mm -hmm. blah, she, uh, you know, she has some spark during the class. She starts working on a project, and then out of the blue, like three plus years later, pings me like, "Hey, uh, I remember you were guest speaker in our class. Like that, like something you said really like stuck with me. Like here's what I'm working on now." Mm -hmm. And it was like a really cool moment. Like, let's get on Skype. Go and hear all about this. That's cool. And actually I, I just joined formally the advisory board for Maker Girl.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: Maker Girl is a really, really rad 3D printing workshop for mm-hmm. little girls age like 3 to three to 10. Mm-hmm. And it's basically for them to get involved in uh, science, technology, engineering, and math at a younger age mm-hmm. and to think STEM is cool and STEM is doable. And so like that, that was, you know, a very kind of a fun, organic, serendipitous uh, exchange. Whereas others might be yeah, you know, there's a. Dialogue. Sorry, do you,
0: do you remember what you had said, or what she put in her
1: email? In? You she remember? let me think. Um, uh, one of the things I think we had talked about was uh, the concept of "screw it, let's do it." Where um, so yeah, you know, on, on my side, I, I basically uh, had some experiences in finance. And I had like a nice offer from Merrill Lynch, and uh, you know, spent some time at the firm. Summer of 2008 had a very very cushy like banking career in front of me, mm-hmm. uh, but. I had this idea for money think and it was an NGO that would never pay me anything big, you know, net economic loser for sure. But I wanted to make an impact and I thought this was a creative challenge. I wanted to work with cool people. So like my heart's just saying, yes, like screw it, let's do it. um, Which is one of uh, Richard Branson's kind of catchphrases. And she, um, um, I think that helped resonate with her because she was also like on the, the high powered consulting track and, it's a little scary when, like, you have to tell your mom or dad, like, I'm not going to go work at McKinsey or, you know, XYZ, nice mm-hmm. firm. I'm instead going to, like, start this thing and, like, no salary, no, like, prospects for one anytime soon. Hey, kind of, like, come live on the couch back home. Mm-hmm. And that uh, that's a harrowing one for uh, for folks in whatever stage of life, whether you're, you're like, a, college, a soon-to-be college grad or someone much older, um, it can be difficult to, to get to that point. And so having that attitude with, like, listening, you know, following your smile, listening to your heart. Um, all these cliches, right? Like, I think there is something powerful in that. Though, like, your intuition is trying to tell you something, and ultimately, uh, my big belief, and I think uh, Elizabeth, the scales name, she's really a pretty, pretty special lady. And um, my belief on all this is that if you follow that smile and you actually do what you love doing, you're going to put in the hours it takes, day after day after day to lay the foundation for greatness, however that's defined. And that's, I think, true of any activity. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of effort. And if you don't really love it, you're going to give up somewhere on the track. And if you really do love it, you have a little bit more in the wellspring there. You have a little Mm -hmm. bit more courage to to continue. And uh, that can make all the difference because there's – if you look at really successful folks across any industry, they've paid their dues certainly. And they also, like, survived all those ruts that all of us experience Mm -hmm. and – You got to love it in order to to make that happen.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think if anybody's ever tried to start a business in something that is boring or uninteresting to them, that will resonate very strongly because it can be so brutal uh, when you're not interested in what you're doing or you don't identify with the customers. Um, So one of the things that is related to this is what is something that you are terrible at? But you love mm. doing. You love doing. I need to finish my sentences. Uh huh. I'm terrible at but love doing. That's a great question. Or you can start with the opposite. What is what is something that you're good at but you hate doing? Hey, um,
1: on on the first question first, um, I really enjoy speaking Chinese. Actually, and mm-hmm. like connecting with um, uh, whether it's a taxi driver or a um, a restaurateur, a barista, a new Chinese friend. Actually, I really, really enjoy the opportunity to kind of banter. Mm-hmm. Um, although, like, I hit my ceiling very quickly. And so, it's one of these moments where, like, I have a basic little script in my head of, like, hey, like, here are the things I say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, somewhere between 30 and 90 seconds later, it's like, oh, like, you're asking me a question. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I've actually I, I laughed at myself recently, like, hey, like, why is that? Like, why? Like, let's just go through and, like, let's figure out the 25 questions that I like, let me just get to the next level of conversational ability mm. because I do really enjoy that. It's really fun for me. And yet like I always have to end the conversation in, like an unsatisfactory way. Yeah. And maybe there's some like deep Freudian analysis here, like why you haven't done that. But on one level, it's the simple matter of, you know, Hey, I'd like to do that. Let me actually go and mm. work with, you know, any number of colleagues who would love to help me mm. on that
0: challenge. So mm. what what is it that you enjoy about it? You think, I think it's the
1: uh, the human connection. I think uh, a big reason why I love traveling, and I love competing all over the world is you meet people from like so such different walks of life that they could never imagine where you come from, and until that moment, it'd be hard for you maybe to put yourself in their shoes. But at the end of that little interchange, there's some common humanity, which is really cool. Um, last night at seven forty-five, right before I started my little mentor five-hour deep dive. There was a, I heard a weird sound. I looked up and it's a, it's a gonger it's a construction worker with a drill. And he's taking down this like cute little cubicle farm that we had in the corner of our office. And we're putting in, you know, a new desk floor plan, that's uh, what it amounts to. But uh, he sees me like, kind of like admiring the, the, uh, the construction implements. And we have a very brief conversation that quickly has to be interpreted by one of my colleagues. But mm-hmm. uh, I used to work construction. And so, like, it's like, wow, like, that's fun. Like, I, I had a bit really similar to that. Like, that's my go to. Mm-hmm. And it was just really fun watching him go about deconstructing this little, mm-hmm. um, this little implement there. So, you know, again, I don't, I don't meet a construction worker every day. So, it was kind of a fun moment. Mm-hmm. This guy's like in our office, and we have a kind of a cool, um, a cool session. He then offers me a cigarette. And wants to smoke in the
0: office. No, no, like, no, not, not allowed, man. Not, not this time. Yeah, He needs to look at your LinkedIn first for offering <laughs> yeah. a cigarette. Exactly. Um, so, what what is the thing that you hate doing but you're quite good at?
1: I hate doing. What I'm quite good at. So one, um, I'm uh, sorry. I, I think it was like up Periscope or down Periscope. And so, I'm uh, I'm the kind of person that like I enjoy like entertaining someone like the diet hq office like and like building like the rudiments of like a business development relationship or courting an investor um and this stuff like comes naturally to me like I, people can feel like oh you're energetic about this like you seem somewhat competent i think mm-hmm. um and like that just like goes well for me naturally um that said i have to be either in up periscope or down periscope mode because i my little laser beam i, I mixed metaphor, sorry mm-hmm. i'm already on to like five yeah. five hundred maybe in this conversation but the uh, basic idea is if I'm, like, up looking for new opportunities, like, scouting and sourcing stuff, that's great, and I'll be really good at that. But my ability to, like, execute on, like, a lot of, like, little details of running a business will be, like, abysmal. Mm-hmm. And, like, right now, I'm very much in, like, a down periscope in certain respects. Like, we're on board, and I'm trying to figure out how to, like, do more of that. I like can yeah. do it better. I'm recruiting, you know, for these different roles, and, like, trying to, like, structure this, this business, you know, more fluidly. And uh, the result of that is, like, I'm now really, really bad at, like… Oh, I've got to like entertain this person for like 90 minutes. Like that'll zap my creative energy. I'm spending what should be like optimizing this flow instead of doing this conversation or something. And so the other thing I'm decent at it, it um, it's not as enjoyable when I'm down Periscope. Yeah. And then vice versa, if I'm up Periscope, I then don't want really to be bothered like operational details, even though like, that's obviously really important too. And so um, my biggest lesson all this is uh, you've got to recruit really, really great people that, are really awesome and really good, and really enjoy working on like the area that's one of your weaknesses or one of the, like your blind spots. Mm-hmm. Without that, you're going to flounder, and you're going to be spending a ton of your time doing stuff that you're no better than a you know, replacement level contributor. And then if you're a strong recruiter and you know what you're looking for, you can find like a superstar at that who's like really dynamite and can turn it from like oh like the CEO's wasting all their time there to like this is now like gangbusters, like growing really quickly and. Mm-hmm now the CEO or this team member doesn't have to actually worry about this thing that used to be a big block on them.
0: Mm. So how has your life turned out differently than you expected it to?
1: Yeah, I think in a number of ways. So I think growing up, I always thought I would be a big league baseball player. So I, um, until I was 17, that's what I thought I would be doing with my life. Um, and, uh, yeah, I basically developed like tennis elbow, like a kind of tendonitis in my r- pitching elbow mm-hmm. and it swole my, uh, yeah, I played like 80 baseball games during the summer and, uh, I happened to be the strongest pitcher in a couple different clubs. And so mm-hmm. like you get thrown out there all the time and too much on a growing, you know, um, a growing athlete's arm. And so basically that, uh, you know, uh, all at once, like your dreams go up in smoke. And it's like, Whoa, like that's, that was a big moment. I was very, um, um, very, very, very fortunate that I had other, uh, pursuits that I like was interested in. I was able to like channel some of that like, competitive drive, uh, namely.
0: So, sorry. So one yeah. second. So how do you, how did you either handle or react differently to that kind of, uh, you know, the equivalent of tennis elbow or whatever, but from pitching mm-hmm. versus your serious motorcycle accident. Yes, yeah, so both are right. of a similar vein in some senses, right? But you had very different reactions to the two.
1: Yeah, I did. I, I did. Um, yeah. So it's seven years apart. And I think in those seven years, um, fortunately, I had like a, a good amount of growing up that, that occurred. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, yeah, to be uh, to be blunt here, yeah, I think the it was overwhelming. Actually, I lost my granddad. Um, in, a, in a close proximity to this and my mm-hmm. granddad was like a great pitcher so like there was like this extra like emotional connection mm-hmm. to that and it was like a, the longest term dream i had to that time you know mm-hmm. I, i've dreamed of it for 12 13 years and so like <clears throat> i was overwhelmed with like emotion and but at the same time like you're this like tough jock you know
0: mm-hmm. tough
1: you know yeah you can't be showing too much of that and so In some respects, yeah, I think I repressed some of those, like, those feelings and didn't feel uh, as safe to, like, talk about how I was actually feeling. And Mm -hmm. the result when you're, like, 17 and you're hanging out with guys that are, like, older and bigger and stronger and all that is, like, you know, in my case, like, I started drinking quite Mm -hmm. a bit and, like, would um, sort of, like, numb some of that. Where it's like, oh, like, I felt really bad and then I had a couple of these and now I feel really good about where this is at. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that was um, the... uh, the reaction and not only to, to this but to a lot of like the stresses and pressures like the mm-hmm. bumps and bruises of life which will hit you at any at any juncture and unfortunately instead of being like a really like fun like social deal it uh, becomes a bit of a crutch where it's, like, i kind of need that actually mm-hmm. to like keep my equilibrium and to feel like secure about where things are at and um that's obviously not very good so i think um that was a big shift so like age 17 that was a big part of the like let me just try to channel this in some way that's somewhat healthy and then do a lot of like, you know, more self-destructive habits mm-hmm. as well. Um, Cause it was just honestly overwhelming. Couldn't, mm-hmm. couldn't deal with all of that at that age and that maturity. Um, whereas <clears throat> those years later, I think I had, uh, I was working on the business already. So like, I had like a nice outlet and um, yeah, part of that was probably fueled by like I was, you know, gave up one dream and like now I'm on to like the next. And this feels even more like a, of an authentic dream my running, it's like, I'm not ready to give that up. Hmm. Um, And so yeah, you're right. Those were different reactions. I think.
0: Why why do you say it sounded or felt more like an authentic dream? What does that mean? Yeah. Good question. I'm, I
1: think part of, um, part of that was, I think back to, uh, baseball, like high levels. Like, you know, I was going to like the Stubbs Academy. Stubbs is a scout for the LA Dodgers. And a lot of what baseball became at like the highest levels it's very, very, very competitive. It's very, very, very high stress. Mm-hmm. And it's um, in order to actually make that dream a reality. It's like, you have to like give everything to this. Mm-hmm. And uh, at some level, it's like that really like, calls into the question, like, is this actually like the dream? Is mm-hmm. that really what you want to be doing? And um, I'm not sure. It's like, I didn't actually make it as high as I wanted to. Like there was a lot of rungs on that ladder unclimbed. Uh, with running, you know, I ran, I was, you know, good runner in high school and got you know, a little bit better, started doing longer stuff. And as I kept climbing, you know, you know, I've, I'm not like the greatest runner by any stretch. I've, um, but I'm, I'm pretty solid and I really, really enjoy it. And what I found is as I get better and as I like, enter more competitive, um, kind of echelon, I actually, I enjoy it even more like, mm-hmm. for what it is. And like, I actually, I run for fun. Like I don't, I'm not able to train full time. Like a lot of the guys that are beating me mainly do train yeah, full time yeah. and all that. So, um, Basically, maybe part of it's like I've been able to like identify what my real aim is, and it's like to have fun and like to to be smiling, to tell like the stories around it, to travel. So like it's it's more authentic in that sense, where it's not like um, it's more intrinsic rather than extrinsic. It's not for like the status of being a big league ball player as much as like going out and actually enjoying this thing for mm. for the love of the game.
0: And you know, you'd said yeah. um, there were kind of concepts of connection and competition which for a lot of people, those are not always the most compatible concepts or like maybe it's connecting with a team. But I was also saying that when you're talking about it, like even pitching as a role, even though you are on a team mm-hmm. is still a solid, is in a lot of ways a solid or more like a solo contributor in a sense, right? You're yeah. extremely out there on the point and it's totally. kind of it's true. on yeah. you, right? So it's not quite the same as some of the other like more teamy positions, but is that like, have you had success with team sports or are you usually always drawn to more of the solitary ones? And is there anything there um, as to why that happens?
1: Yeah. So, no, I grew up team sport kind of guys. Like, yeah, baseball, basketball, football, soccer. Um, and in each of those, I was sort of like one of the natural leader kind of guys. Like, so in baseball, I was the guy calling how many outs there were. Or in basketball, getting us back on defense in a formation or mm-hmm. like calling the play. And um, yeah. in football, I was... The guy with the grin running sprints and I'm trying to like pep the guys up. So, yeah, uh, yeah, no, I I grew up loving team sports. And actually, one of the things that I miss about running or I wish I had with my running is more of a wolf pack kind of mentality. It's like I uh, basically I I just train a lot and I train at odd hours. And so it's harder to have a crew that you you do this stuff with. That said, uh, you know, in the Gobi, I wrenched, I sprained my knee halfway through this 250K and the next. 20 some odd hours trying to limp to the finish were absolutely agonizing. But like the, the beauty of the human spirit was revealed where like the number of people who, you know, I was in ninth place when this happened and then I get passed by a whole, whole bunch of people. Mm. Um, the number of people like offer me like a power bar. we to give me some water. Want to give me some juice. Wanted to give me some ibuprofen. Hey, like I've got this ice pack. You need it. You know, like those kind of deal. It's like very reaffirming, like in the middle of absolutely nowhere. We're like, that's all the food that you have. And like, if you run out, you're kind of screwed too. You're trying to help me out. Cause like I'm, I'm in a, in a hard place. And those moments are really, really beautiful in a way that, um, I haven't seen in other endeavors I've done. Mm-hmm. It's like part of that is like when you stretch yourself to the max, and when everybody is pushing their limit. There's a uh, there's a really really beautiful like, camaraderie that, mm-hmm. that emerges there, and that's part of what I'm seeking. It's like mm-hmm. that like sort of purity of connection is uh, it's profound and it feels really beautiful to be part of that. And you know one of the, one of the latest names, Jessica. You know we're Facebook buddies four years later, and. We're making plans. She works for a cruise company. Eventually, she'll come through Shanghai and, like, eventually we're going to, like, get that jog in and, like, reminisce about the Gobi. And, mm. uh, and yet, all I know from her is, like, she, for 90 seconds, she, like, gave me a power bar mm. and then he helped me wash it down because I was, like, out of water. Yeah. And then, like, she finds me on Facebook a couple weeks later and four years later, we're in touch. So mm.
0: nice. I like it. Makes sense. Um, gotta love a woman that shares her power bars with you <laughs> after that point so i think we're, we're gonna wrap up here with our what is now our kind of traditional uh ending question which is if you flash forward to the end of your life and you are able to plan your funeral Ooh. um paint us a picture you know like where is it Who's there? What's happening? I don't know. You can get into whatever is meaningful to you, whether it be music or uh, decorations or what do people say or who do you show shows up or who do you hope doesn't show up or, you know, just kind of tell us a bit about if you could. Yeah. What would you do to influence it? Yeah, that's a, or, or actually, what do you hope it is? You know, hope influence it is. is the wrong word. Uh, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, no doubt. Uh,
1: number one provocative question. I've never, never, ever thought of that. Um, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, First blush here, I would hope that, uh, you know, it's an opportunity for friends and family to convene and reflect on, like, the wonderful memories that we shared. Mm-hmm. And it would I would much, much prefer, like, a celebration of life kind of tone as opposed to, like, let's all, like, cry and bitter pain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, so we definitely want more of an uplifting kind of feel. Would want it very much to be about the people kind of assembled and, like, the relationships – and these like golden times that we share, um, mm-hmm. uh, like a, kind of a unifying theme. Um, I do love bagpipe music. So I'd love, love for some Scotsman maybe to play us some bagpipes. Um, it would probably be my hometown, Bainbridge Island, which is a super beautiful place. I recommend anyone here to, to make it over when you're visiting Seattle next mm-hmm. easy ferry right away. Um, big, tall trees, beautiful sky Got the cascade volcanoes, snow capped in the distance. And it's a, that'd be a beautiful place to, uh, Lane. How do you spell it? Uh, Bain B-A-I-N mm. Bridge Bainbridge Bainbridge Island Yeah one word Bainbridge Island um, And then yeah What else um, I read a great piece By a guy named David Brooks New York Times columnist Who wrote about You have like your Resume virtues Like the skills you have And then you have your Eulogy virtues Which is like how, What kind of character Were you And like did you Were you a good person And did you Treat people right And with kindness And uh, I'd hope that yeah more, much more time and attention is spent on, uh, some of those like questions of character. And like, this was like a good person that try to like make, make his little corner of the world a little bit better as opposed to, and let me read you his bio. Cause like he was a rotten person, but yeah. did some things.
0: Okay. Excellent. So we'll wrap it up there. Um, lastly, is there anywhere that you want people to find you on the internet or anything you want them to visit or say hi, or is there something they can do to support diet or, like that? Yeah. So
1: two quick ones. Um, number one is you can find me online at Instagram. Greg runs far. Greg runs far is my handle. I post a daily uh, reflection on ultra marathon training, beautiful places I visited, w- wonderful characters that I've connected with along the journey and uh, would love to actually meet you there and to mm-hmm. hear what you're working on training for and see how I might help. Um, second angle is I'm actually a, I have a big challenge on the horizon. So after I do the Atacama with Dad, I'm doing what's called the World Marathon Challenge <laughs> and uh, aiming to run seven marathons in seven days on seven continents, starting in Antarctica, over to Perth, Australia, uh, Cape Town, South Africa, up to Dubai, Asia, over to uh, Lisbon, Portugal, Europe, and then over to Cartagena, Colombia, South America, and Miami all within seven days. Mm-hmm. And i uh, trying to become the 105th guy to do this. And I am seeking to connect with uh, brands that are trying to tell a great story about global expansion, global coverage, mm-hmm. going the extra mile. Um, and if there's a metaphor that connects with your business or your company, I would, would love to chat because I'm actually seeking corporate sponsorship to make this dream a reality and doing some really cool work with uh, MoneyThink, the NGO I mentioned briefly mm-hmm. that uh, uh, aiming to raise a lot of money for MoneyThink too okay. through this. And so, is that
0: What is the website for MoneyThink?
1: MoneyThink.org. Okay. And we're a 501c3 doing some amazing work in 30 cities across the U.S.
0: All right, great. Well, Greg, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. That'll do it for this episode of the Beer Intelligence Podcast. See ya. See ya. Thank you. All right. That wraps up today's episode. For show notes or just to find Momo and I for beer when you're in Shanghai, you can visit us at beerintelligence.com. Lastly, if you've got a second, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. You got to search for the Beer Intelligence podcast one more time, and then you'll see a reviews tab where you can give us—I don't know—one star, two stars, maybe five stars, whatever the hell you feel. We'd love to hear your comments, and we'd really appreciate the support. Thanks.